Hey everyone, welcome to the Coastal Podcast. I'm Pastor Lucas Granger and want to say thank you for listening in. May this podcast bring some light to your world today. Enjoy grace and peace. So um, this morning I want to give you a history lesson. Yeah, that's what I expected. Uh, we're going to do some history, and, and what we just experienced right there in that moment is something, if you're in the room and you're kind of over the age of 40, you're like, ooh, this sounds interesting. If you're under the age of 40, I knew we shouldn't have come to hit church today. Like, history, let's just do algebra, right? You know, there's a kind of idea, but trust me, it's going to be fun, because the further you look back, the further you can look forward. The further you look back, the further you can look forward. We've been in the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to look at 1, 2, and 3. And in chapter 3, we talked about this last week, there's this moment. It's a very famous moment where Moses approaches God, and he is in this burning bush. In the middle of the desert, far into the desert, there's this bush. It captures his attention. He's amazed by it, walks up to the bush and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. something's going on here. I'm amazed because this bush is on fire, and yet it's not being consumed. What's going on? And so he walks up to it into which God speaks to him from this bush. Take off your shoes. Where you're standing is holy ground. And I just think it's so interesting because here we have the thing that all of humanity has been searching for. This kind of technology, if you will, that, hey, there's a source here, and there's an energy that's, that's being burned from this tree, but it's not consuming. Do you know how much that would be worth in today's society? To, to have something that, it, like, it, it generates energy, and it generates all of these things, and yet it's not consumed. Imagine being able to fill your gas tank up once and never have to fill it up again. Right? Uh, come on. Uh, imagine this. Imagine, like, your light bulb that never burns out. Imagine, like right now, your house is plugged into the grid, but imagine if your house was plugged into a tree, right? Sounds like really weird, but remember when you were a kid and you used to take a light bulb and you'd take a potato and you'd make the light bulb light up from the potato, right? There's this energy, but, but, but kind of think about this. There's this moment where Moses is right here and there's this technology of like, well, there, there, there's this thing and it's happening and it's not consuming. And I think what's important at this moment is what Moses does next and what he doesn't do. See, what he doesn't do is he doesn't run home and tell his wife, hey, listen, you're not gonna believe what I found. Like, this is all, listen, we're never gonna get cold in the winter again because I found this bush and the bush was on fire and the house, listen, you're never gonna have to gather wood again to cook with because like this thing, it burns and you could cook and you ain't gotta do all of this work anymore. And he's like, I'll be right back. He didn't grab his camel and a shovel and go and try and dig up this bush, right? He, he, he didn't go and say, you know, hey, we're going to take this bush. We're going to bring it back. Why did he not do that? Because he recognized something. He recognized the source. He recognized it wasn't about the bush. It wasn't about the fire. No, it was God in the bush. There was, there was a source here that he, he caught on to, so he didn't, he didn't have to, to run home and try and do all these things. He recognized the source. He recognized the source. And here's the thing. I think sometimes we forget the source. See, you could come to church, and church is amazing. You could love your pastor. Hopefully your pastor's a pretty good guy. 
Like read, read amazing books. You got Caleb on your radio. And these are all really good things, but they are not the source. They are not the source. And if, not, if we're not careful, we're just trying to dig these things up, bring them home, and try and reproduce it. And it's like, no, 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 no. God said, I, I wasn't there anymore. See, I just used this thing for a minute, but you've got to recognize the source. And if you catch on to the source, all of a sudden, oh, no, you've got something that's more valuable than anything else on this planet. But we have to recognize it. This source will keep you warm in the winter. This source will keep you when you're in the darkest night of your soul. This source, when, when Pharaoh is right on your heels and you've got a sea in front of you and an army behind you, this source will give you that peace that passes all understanding. When your life is filled with worry and fear and anxiety, oh no, this is a source in which it's fuel for the soul. Fuel for the soul. The source, the strength, this hope, this connectedness, something that where our roots go down deep in Christ. Speaking of roots and trees, um, trees are actually found all throughout the Bible. We see them in Genesis, and we see them in Ezekiel, and Psalms, and Revelation, and there's this tree in the garden, there's these trees at the end, and there's this phrase that's used multiple times in the scriptures when it talks about these trees. It's like a tree that is planted beside the living waters, and when it's planted beside these living waters, this source, it'll do what? It'll produce fruit in every season, which is really interesting because I've never seen a, pro a tree produce fruit in every season. As a matter of fact, if you go home right now, you have a garden, some of you. And in this garden, you planted all these things, and it's gotten really hot, and so your zucchini plants are all burnt up. <laughs> and you know, no matter how much you water that thing, there ain't no zucchini coming in August, right? Because it was, it was this season, and it came and go, and then a season will come and a season will pass. Because, like, no, when you have the right source, when your roots go down into the right source, this source will produce fruit in every season, so in other words, Christian, you could produce fruit in your darkest night. You could produce fruit in the desert. You could produce fruit in the midst of heartache and pain and suffering. You could produce fruit on your good days. You could produce fruit on your bad days. How can we do this when you're connected to the right source? Living water, roots, trees that go down deep. Don't mix it up. This is not the source. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source. And so I told you we're going to get into some history. Uh, let's dig into it. So here we have Moses, and there's this timeline. And Moses' life is distinct in three different uh, kind of sections, if you will. You can read in the book of Acts chapter 7. Uh, Stephen is getting ready to be martyred. He's giving this sermon, and he sums up Moses' life uh, in really this one chapter of the Bible. I'd encourage you to go home. I believe it's Acts. I believe it's chapter 7. And uh, we find this, the first 40 years of Moses' life, he's born and he's raised into the house of Pharaoh. The second 40 years of his life, he finds himself taking care of his father-in-law's sheep in a desert place. And then the next 40 years of his life, he has led the children of Israel and they are wandering into the wilderness. Three distinct sec sections. You see this in, 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 the, in the writings of Moses. You see this in the writings uh, later on in the book of Acts. And, and you kind of see it. But here's the thing. I was thinking about these transitions and, and in Moses' life, kind of how obvious it is, but how unobvious it is when you're in the middle of it. When you're in the middle of these transitions and these seasons, you think you understand, but you really don't understand. Uh, you think you know, but you really don't. For example, um, there's young 
And then there's old. The problem is you don't know when you got there. <laughs> right? You do, like, in the mind of every man, we are still 17. Like, we have no clue that we are old. But then there's these little writings on the wall that tell us we are old. The other day, uh, I have a few guys that come by, and I'll give them haircuts, because that's just what your pastor does. He gives haircuts. And uh, if you don't mind a solid C-plus haircut, I'm your guy. <laughs> and so they come by, and they're, they're getting haircuts, and I'm like, realize, well, I've got to cut my, I've cut my own hair since I was 16, not because of any other reasons, but I'm just super cheap. And... I'm cutting my hair, and as I'm cutting my hair, I realize I have this one hair, and I can't get it. It will not come off of my hair. And I look closely into the mirror, and I realize a hair is attached to my ear. <laughs> and that thing is that long. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, you're old. <laughs> There's signs on the wall. There's longer hairs on my ears. And I proceeded to finish that, and I went upstairs, and we have this stack of all of these DVDs. Do anyone know what a DVD is anymore? And I just can't bring myself to get rid of them because I don't know, I just can't. Because before the DVDs, as I was growing up as a kid, we had stacks of what? VHS. Yes, some of you are old. And there's these VHS tapes, and I remember we'd held on and we would move from house to house, and we'd boxes of VHS tapes, even though they don't even make VHS players anymore. But, you know, this is just years of work, and then DVDs, and all these things, and all of a sudden you realize we've gotten old. My kids are like, what's that? Don't you just stream it? Is that not on Netflix? I told you about the time that we took our daughters for the very first time to this hotel. They're watching television. And as they're watching television, my daughter comes and she runs and Dad, Dad, something's wrong with the TV. I was watching my show, and now all of a sudden something happened to it. I walked in. It was the very first time she'd ever seen a commercial. It's like, oh. You are old. You are old. There's these transitions. There's these things. And as you look back and you realize, and Moses, oh, man, that was 40 years. It was 40 years all, already. Oh, it's another, it's, has it been 40 years again already? Now, this is important because it says that Moses' first phase is he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 1, I'm going to read a couple things. Um, and we're going to look back even first before Moses' birth. And in chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, it says this. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This is important. A new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and they are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Ooh, catch that. We gotta make a plan. And what's the purpose of this plan? To keep the nation of Israel from growing even more. Even if we don't, because if we don't, war breaks out, then they're gonna join with our enemies and they're gonna fight against us. There's a sphere. And then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites uh, their slaves. They appoint, appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. And they forced them to build their cities. Here's the backstory of Moses. Moses has grown up in this time 
in a land that knew not of Joseph. They did not know that Joseph had actually saved this whole nation, uh, Israel, Egypt, like there was a great famine, and, and Joseph come in, and he saves the day with his, his wisdom, but now no one knows what Joseph has done, and here's the thing. The famine has long been over. Things have gotten good. Uh, uh, the land is producing again, and, and uh, crisis has been avoided. Things are happening. There's a certain comfort and nobody remembers Joseph. And I just thought about this, and this, isn't this humanity's story? Isn't this the story of humanity that every time things start to get good, we forget? We forget where we came from. We forget what was happening. We forget that we needed some saving. We forget all that God has done for us. And if you think that it's just this story, like it's humanity's story. And if you look at the book of First Kings and Second Kings, you see this over and over again. As a matter of fact, there's this common refrain of things getting better and things getting worse. And the common factor is the people forgetting and turning to other idols and making other idols before their God. And this happens, and uh, things get bad, and they turn back to God, and things get good, and they turn away from God. And what's interesting about this portion of Scripture is here you have the Egyptians now looking, and they see that Israel is growing in number, and they perceive them to be a threat. They, they, they perceive that, wait, wait, hold on, they're multiplying great, and if this nation uh, uh, goes up with this nation, man, they could, they could join up against us. This is, a real, this is a real problem. And I think that's interesting because the, the very promise that they have from God is to multiply in number. The, the nation of Israel is going to multiply in number, and it's happening, but it's not happening under the terms that they may have thought it was going to happen, even though God told them that this was going to happen. But they, they, they couldn't see it. All they could see was, well, the slavery and the whips and the, the tyranny and the oppression but what's interesting is that the Egyptians saw it before they did. The Pharaoh looked out and recognized, and the Pharaoh looked, here's a group of people that we should be afraid of. And they're rightly afraid of them because this is the people of God. As a matter of fact, we see this over and over in the scriptures. There's this part in Acts, again, when things are happening, this church is starting uh, to take root and things are to blossom. And when they look at the church, they said, these are the men who are turning the world upside down. In other words, they're, they're changing everything about our culture. They're changing the economy. They're changing the way we work. They're changing everything. We, do. we should be afraid of them, and then great persecution hit the land. And here we have Pharaoh that's like, man, everything is going to happen, and so I need to have this plan, and, and we're going to enslave them. But his plan goes even further. Not only are we going to enslave them, but now, look, we're trying to do this. They're still growing in number. Now the first, whenever, whenever baby boys are born, take them and throw them in the Nile genocide, completely trying to wipe out an entire nation, an entire next generation. I say, no, no, this is, this is how we're going to do it. They keep multiplying. We can't do it. So we're going to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys. They see this threat. And I think that the, the threat is very, it's a, it's a good threat because like as a Christian, as a believer, we stand for something. We stand for certain morals. We stand for the truth. We stand for saying, no, there is a absolute, and there is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ and him alone. The world does not like this because they want 47 other ways into which to find their own 
peace or morality or, or all of these things. And then we say, no, no, that there is one way and there is an ultimate destiny, and that is in Christ and Christ alone. Now here we have it in this fulfillment, Jesus doing what he said he would do in Israel. The people are multiplying, and they're multiplying underneath extreme conditions. They're multiplying underneath these slave conditions and you see this, again, historically time and time again when you oppress the people. You see this even in the life of Christ. Salvation came through extreme conditions. I believe the cross <laughs> would classify as an extreme condition for the salvation of me and you. It took the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of these things in which we can just look at and we just think that, God, how are you going to do anything in any of that? And I want you to hear this quote. It says this that men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all lessons that history has to teach us. Let me say that one more time. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all lessons that history has to teach us. Huxley, who, by the way, was not a Christian. And I think it's interesting. Again, just like Egypt, sometimes the world can see it before the church does. And we want to repeat ourselves. And we have grown up in a land that knew not of Joseph. And we've grown up underneath this thing where we've forgotten where we've came from, we've forgotten our promise, and we've forgotten our source. We've forgotten where we've came from, we've forgotten our promise, we've forgotten our source, and the world sees us as a bigger threat than we do. We are in a post-Christian society. Not we are getting there, we are. Historians would say that this has actually been happening for the, the last probably 50 years. Uh, the, the rise and fall of Christendom in America. And, and this is actually, in some respects, stay with me for a minute, but this is actually a good thing. Because Christendom is not Christianity. So Christendom is the outworking of a Christian culture. So whenever you have a Christian culture that takes society and it begins to raise up an entire people group, an entire culture, what you have is then people begin to express and receive the benefits of Christianity without ever having need Christ. And that is Christendom. So you can you could have all of the things, you could use the language, you could do all these things without ever needing Christ, you're just experiencing the benefit of a Christian culture. So in other words, Thou shalt not kill is a good one. You don't have to believe in Christ to experience that benefit, right? You didn't get killed yet. All of these things that we have and the values that we have as a Christian culture play into that. Um, and again, but it's, it influenced our society in such a way where we took the benefits and cast out God and said, hey, you know, it, it, we can still have all of these things on our own work and our own ability, uh, let me make it even more clear. So I had a moment not too long ago, and there was this drug dealer, and he was talking about uh, life. And he literally said these words, ah, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. I mean, look at this house. God's blessed me. Look at all this. Look at all these things. Look at my car in my driveway. I'm so blessed. And I'm like, no, you're not. You are not blessed. You have no idea what that word means. That word has been so misconstrued into our culture in which you think you're blessed. You are not. 
because that's not anywhere close of what that means. But we throw these words around like they're meaningless. We have in a culture like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, I'm praying and, and like, <laughs> no, no, that's Christendom. And so you have an outworking of this. And then what happens is generations rise up and they know not of Joseph. They know not of Christ. They know not of what uh, our parents and our grandparents of what they went through. They only know what's before them now. And so they live inside of this culture and all of a sudden they begin around. They're like, oh no, they're a threat. They're, they're a threat to society. They're a threat to certain culture. And, and, and what happens, you could hear what I'm saying. And oftentimes the narrative is this. Yeah, it's getting really bad. And we're, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And like that, that's, that's the thing that you hear. And the problem is because you just don't know your history. The problem is uh, history, like you have to look back in order to look forward. And this actually isn't a bad thing at all. How far should we look back? I think it's, it's in two phases. One, you should look back as far as to the cross. Because when I look back to the cross, I look under this uh, extreme condition and I look at the salvation that came out of that extreme condition of what God uh, used and the enemy was trying to make evil and he used it for the good that we're still benefiting from thousands of years later. And, and if that doesn't do it, you can actually even continue to go even further back all the way to creation where you see the renewal and the generation of all things where God said, no, this is, gonna, this is how it's going to look like. You, you want to know how it ends? Look at how it begins. And it's good. It's real good. All of it. New heaven and new earth and all of things, things coming together in the renewal of all things. And this, this is the ultimate conclusion. So no matter how bad you think it gets, no, no, no. We, work, we serve a God who works all things for the good. Amen. My daughter, um, in school this last year, she does really good in school. She gets good grades. But we noticed that her history grade was slipping. She went from A plus to A minus to B plus. And I'm like, Kobe, what's going, what's going on here? And she just simply said, well, Dad, I just don't like history. I don't like history. And I realized, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're young, you really don't care much about history. You really don't even care much about the future either. It's just about this present moment. She's just about like, no, Dad, I just want this, uh, this, what's right here, right now. I'm just trying to get this work done because this is it. And so, so there's, there's no, no concept uh, of this past, even this future. And, and I'm looking through it, and I'm talking to her, and I realize this. Like, my daughter will never understand the struggle of making a mixtape. <laughs> Come on. Staying up all night long for your woman, waiting for the right song to come on the radio so you can hit play and record. Like, Come on, I'm going to get it. I'm going to oh, I got you, girl. Yeah. Making that mixtape. Getting them together. She'll never know that. She has no clue about the history of what her dad had to go through. She had no clue. See, she just opens up her iPad and she's connected to the internet. She has no idea that back in my day, it took about 17 minutes. Y'all remember that? The modems? What are they doing? I don't even know. What, why did it have to sound like that? She had no clue. In my house, if there's, a, if there's an issue, you don't ask dad, you don't ask mom, you ask Alexa. My daughter will never know the struggles of Encyclopedia Britannica. They'll never know that you have a report due and your report's on a zebra, but they only sell them by the letter. And you're waiting for your parents to get to Z, but you're never gonna get there. You got stuck at H. 
And if it ain't in there, you just don't know it exists. And this is a generation who grew up and knew not of Joseph, of Christendom, who knew not of the sacrifices of World War I, World War II, men and women that went before us. And I know we have the sign that 9-11 we'll never forget. We will. How do you know that, Lucas? Because history shows it. It may take a long time, but we will. The greatest lesson of all of history. We, we, we just have this tendency. We, we're, we're present-oriented because we're not connected to the source. We love the bush. We love the fire. We love to ask Alexa. But we forget the source. Which leads us to this next transition in Moses' life. He's, he's grown up in the house of Pharaoh. This, this, is, this is all he knows. It says this in chapter 2. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people. Because remember, children have been thrown into the Nile. They've been murdered. He has been spared. His mom put him in this basket. He's floated down the river, and he's found his way into the house of Pharaoh. He's grown up in this house, but he knows he's not like everybody else. He's in Egypt, but he ain't of Egypt. He's in this house, but he's not of this house. And he knows he's different. And it takes years, and years go by, and Moses grows up, and it says he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard that they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beaten on one of his fellow Hebrews. He looked in all directions to make sure that no one was watching. He killed the Egyptian, buried the body in the sand. Now remember, the whole uh, uh, intro on this in chapter one is the Pharaohs looked, he saw the threat, and this is how we're gonna minimize the threat. Genocide is gonna take place, and then the rest of the people that are living, we are gonna crush them to death with work. Has anybody ever felt that before? Has any, like, what are you doing tomorrow? Working again and again and again and again. Cru hey, this is our plan. We will crush them with work. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. As they try to crush the Israelites through this hard labor, the effect of their crushing causes them to multiply even more. Come on. Now, historically, this is the case every single time, especially in the church, that the suppression of a people to keep them from rising up will cause them to rise up. Every single time in history, every people group that have ever undergone extreme suppression for the sake of them not rising up, they have led to rising up. Every single time. And so the plan in itself is backfiring. It's just like, no, they keep multiplying in number. All of these things are happening, which is exactly what God said would going to happen. And it happens again and again. And this happens inside the church. Again, historically, every single time that the church is persecuted, we grow. Every single time we're persecuted, we grow. When things get easy, we begin to fall. Study was done. One of the longest studies uh, within this century the study showed this. Uh, 20 years ago, the average church in America had 125 people in it. 
Average church in America 20 years ago, 125 people. Today, the average church in America is 64. The average church has been cut in half in the last 20 years. Why? Man, it got easy. It got easy. All you had to do is just show up and say, no, no, it just got real easy. Years, years at this church, I would, I would ask, ask you guys, hey, hey, we're going to go into a new year. What are some things that y'all would like to hear about? And uh, year after year, we just want to hear about the book of Revelations. Book of Revelations. I mean, year after year, I just stopped asking the question because everybody wants to hear about the book of Revelations. And I've actually done two different series on it. You could go online and listen to the book of Revelations. Uh, But it changed. The last couple years have changed, not just within this church. There's other churches that do it. Uh, Some of the largest churches in America do this. And it's changed from wanting to understand about how everything is going to end. Now the new question that everyone is asking is this. What do I do with this depression? Depression, anxiety, and fear. The new number one question inside of the church. Why? Why why, why has it changed? And and, and here's the thing. When these uh, questions started changing, when there was a shift, we saw a direct correlation between the signs of depression and the rise of social media. Now, I'm not here to say social media is bad in any way, many things, but I would like you to at least recognize that Social media in and of itself is a type, can be likened unto Christendom. Because think about what Christendom is. Again, Christendom is experiencing the benefits of something without experiencing Christ. What is social media? It's a way of creating relationships without the accountability. So now you could go online and you could say anything you want to anybody, anytime, and the repercussions are fairly small, if any. And so we have this feeling, we have a younger generation who knew not of Joseph, who's lived their life in this system that all they know is social media, and so they begin to believe that these meaningful connections are the equivalent of what they're experiencing on their phone. And it does not work that way. You can't talk to me face-to-face the way you talk to me on social media. You get real brave when you're alone in your room. Come on, somebody. But because we've grown up in a land who knew not Joseph, this is all they know. And because it's all they know, this is their idea of connection and relationships. So much so, as they get old, why why are we more connected than any other time in human history? I could talk to somebody on the other side of the world right now, and yet depression has gone through the roof. More suicides right here in our county than ever before. All of these things happen Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) Feel so encouraged. Well, you should. You actually should. Because again, remember, the rise, and every time we're suppressed and these things happen, it leads to the church rising up. It leads to the gospel being preached. It leads to things changing. And, And I believe it leads to a generation who has seen everything that the world has to offer and says, you know what? I'm ready to flee from the comforts of Egypt, and I'm ready for something real. Uh, I, I, I look here and I look today and, and I think we have a generation on our heels that says, no, 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 I want truth. I, I want real connection. I want to understand family. I want to understand what it is to be salt and to, to be light and to desire true freedom, not just some ideology that's out there and wild and just does whatever it wants. Because I've experienced that and I know that that's not the truth. 
And so we have these young people that are saying, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something real, no matter what the cost. And let me be real honest with you. This is part's going to sting. The, the stronghold, for some of us, the older folks, and I'm putting myself in this group, 40 plus, we think that the stronghold is like the younger kids and everything that they have to do coming up. No, no, the stronghold's you. The stronghold's you. The stronghold's me. Why? Because we've grown up in the comforts of Egypt. We've grown up in a culture and a society, and we've gotten very comfortable. And we've become satisfied with just making bricks because it's a new kind of brick. This new brick that we make here in America, this new brick comes with air conditioning. This new brick has a 401k. This new brick, like, oh, it has all types of comfort. It's this, this new brick, it's celebrated on TV. And its effect is the same effect that it would have on these Israelites. It's crushing our soul. But I believe we're at a tipping point. I believe we're at a burning bush in a desert that says, no, no, no. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to go into the desert because I believe it's a stronghold that God wants to break through in every single one of us. In every single one of us. Which begs the question, well, how do we do it? Well, I think part of the answer is right there, what we read in chapter two. It says, one day, Moses took a walk. He took a walk to visit his people. You got to visit people that cause you to remember. You got, you got to get around people that cause you to remember, oh, yeah, yeah, this is where I came from. I was supposed to be dead in that Nile, but by the grace of God. I, I, I could be right here with these guys making these bricks day in and day out. I could be just like this guy who I'm watching getting beat it's only by the grace of God you are where you are. It's only by the grace of God that you ain't locked up right now doing 25 to life. It's only by the grace of God that you're not lying in a ditch somewhere. Come on, you know what you did. It's only the grace of God. You've got to get around some people. You've got to remember. You've got to remember there is no us and them because we are them. We are them. I am them. I've done everything. But the apostle Paul says, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the center of sinners. Like, I, I am them. You're talking about us versus them? No, I am them. If not by the grace of God. So that's why I can have mercy for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because I am them. I can have mercy for, for the addict, because I am them. And you've got to get out of the comfort of your house, and you've got to walk into a land out of a place and say, no, what? we're turning the air conditioning off. We're going to a place. It ain't comfortable anymore, but this, these are the people that will cause me to remember. Come on, God, speak to me in this place. It's time that we start walking again. Take a walk. Don't, don't just go to Walmart to shop. Go to Walmart to encourage somebody. Walk through those aisles. I'm not just looking for some Cocoa Puffs. I'm looking for somebody to encourage. And it'll change your whole perspective of Walmart from the worst place on the planet <laughs> to maybe I could bring some light. Come on. The other day I was walking through Walmart. I don't know if she's in the room. Mary and Jason, 
bowl and they were there and, and Mary was going by and she had her little baby and her stroller and I, was, I had my kids and we're, and we're, we're just walking and, and I didn't even stop but we just said hi and, and I just realized, man, I should have stopped. Because I, I remember when I was you, baby, just trying to hold it all together, shopping, all right, just please stay asleep. You know, 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. Please don't freak out on aisle seven. You know, I am you. I am you. It changes everything. Get around some people. Come to church. Come to church not just to receive. Come to church to give. Come to church to give, to say, God, even if the preaching sucks, even if the worship team is horrible, God, I'm coming to give you my praise. I'm coming to give you my worship. I'm coming to meet you, Jesus. Why? Because you are my source. You are my strength. You are my high tower. You are the one in whom I will run to when things get, get bad. And God, take me out of my comfort zone. I'm coming to give. I'm coming to give. Come on, right now, we're comfortable because the air conditioning's still working. The air conditioning will break one day. We live in a land who knew not of Joseph. It will happen. And instead of having this attitude of doom and gloom, let us look to our history. Let us look to the history that every time that this happens to a church, as a matter of fact, it's a part of the promise of God that as we experience this persecution, we will rise up and we will overcome. Time and time again, I ask the worship team to come on up. Everyone, if you'd stand to your feet. Where everything else becomes a byproduct, and Jesus, you are the prime product. You are the source. You're the reason for this bush in the desert, and I'm running after you. See, this morning, when Sam was up here, here's the thing. You may have been here and thought, man, that was, that was a good five-minute sermon. It was more than that. It was the voice of a generation. Here, here's what's interesting as we listen to Sam. I didn't tell Sam what to talk about. I said, Sam, you pray, and whatever it is that God puts on your heart, I want you to talk about. You know what he chose to talk about? Of all the things that he could choose to talk about, he chose to talk about not being afraid with evangelism. What does that tell you? It's a young man growing up in this culture. He's looking around. He's saying, there's so many Christian brothers and sisters, and why aren't we telling people about Jesus? Why are we so afraid to share our faith? Why is there this fear in us? See, the world already sees it. The world, they're wondering, like, oh, all these things happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we have a generation that's rising up that I think is committed to a new story. It's committed to the truth. And we have the chance, church, to come alongside. Say, you know what? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm connected to the source. Maybe today, maybe for somebody in this room, this was a burning bush in the middle of your desert. Your life has been dry, 
You've been looking for peace. You've been raised in a culture and maybe everything has gone bad and you've been out there making bricks and toiling in the sun. Or maybe like Moses, everything has been good and you've experienced all the culture and I mean all, all of the comforts of Egypt, but there's a piece of your soul that says there's more. There's a promise. There's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's told us now we're gonna have our own land. Maybe today was just a burning bush experience for you. And the challenge is for you to not to go home and to grab your camel and try and dig this up. But this, the, um, the challenge is to take it with you, to recognize the source, the living water in which our roots go down deep into and to which there is fruit in every season of your life. No matter where your marriage is at right now, no matter where your finances are at right now, no matter how crazy your kids are acting right now, there's a source. See, history shows us that me and you, we are prone to wander. You know, there's 99 the one, you're the one. I'm the one. It ain't, it, it ain't them, no, no, it's us. A story ain't about somebody else. A story's about you. You're prone to wander off. You're prone to just take it easy in the good times. You're, pro you're prone to think God is a million miles away in the hard times. You're prone to try to connect to the wrong source. You're prone to want to put your trust in something else. You're prone to look at the culture around us and just want to throw in the towel and say it's all done. But I would encourage us this morning to remember our history. And I would encourage us this morning to look back all the way to the cross. And as we look upon that cross, I would like us to remember that we serve a God who works all things for the good. We serve a God who takes our sorrows and turns them into dancing. He takes our failures and gives us favor. He takes a simple walk in a garden and he's still walking in gardens, but he's also walking in slave camps and we realize that he has been at work in all things and in every way. And he will deliver, he will save. The name Moses literally means saved by water. And it wasn't that just that Moses was saved by the water as he was put in that basket and put down the, the Nile. Uh, later on, an entire nation was saved as God split those seas. It's not just about you. Sam, his name, I looked it up. Now I can't find it. There it goes. God who hears. He heard. Did you? Did I? Do we have eyes to see, ears to hear? It's a prayer that Jesus prays often. He hears, he sees. Let us pray. Lord, come Holy Spirit. Lord, fall on your people. Lord, as the older generation, we just stand here and repent. We repent for, for not giving it away. We repent for our comforts that we've come accustomed to in the house of Egypt. Lord, 
Help us to take a stand. We're turning back to you. And Lord, for those that are coming up on our heels, oh Lord, that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that your face would shine brightly upon them. Your favor all over them and that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. There's an entire people group ready to rise up and receive your promise. There's a land for us and that land is connected to the source Christ Jesus. If you're in the room this morning and you don't know him, May today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day that you say, I'm, that's it. I'm done trying to do it my way. Hey, my history has repeated itself so many times. It's time for something new. That new is Jesus. He makes all things new. If that's you and you're in the room today, I'm asking you to just put your hand real high in the air. Keep it there so I can see it. I just want to lead you in a prayer to know Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, anybody else. I don't want to, I want you to miss this moment. The Father's arms are open wide. All right, church, please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am yours. You are mine. I believe. Help my unbelief. God, I surrender all to you. Your son, your daughter, I'm yours. Amen and amen. Guys, can we give it up? We had somebody in the house this morning that gave their life to Jesus. The greatest miracle that you'll ever see. Come on, somebody. Hey, listen, if you need prayer, if you need prayer for anything, we have some folks over here that would love, love, love to pray with you. Also, don't forget you can connect at that next step table, what your next step might be. Don't forget... Uh, check out Carl back there on that uh, table. Uh, we're in a chair campaign, still trying to raise the finances uh, for seats for that new building. And if we don't get it, y'all, there's just going to be a whole bunch of beanbags. So with however it works out, y'all choose. Anyway, love you guys. Grace and peace. God bless you next week right here at 10 o'clock. Well, we hope this podcast has blessed you. In case you didn't know, we are in the middle of renovating a brand new facility right here in Brunswick County, North Carolina. So listen, two things. Please take a moment and pray for us. Also, if you'd like to give to the ministry, sign on to the website at mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Grace and peace.